This morning, um, we're going to finish out this series. This is the last week in the series uh, that we've been in the book of Psalms, Psalm 37. And what we've been doing is really breaking uh, down this psalm and looking at, at statements in the psalm and, and really just meditating on them. And, and this morning, we're going we're gonna to end on a statement that the psalmist makes twice. And that is trust in the Lord. Let me read for you Psalm 37, verses 3 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust, there it is again, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Trust, trust in the Lord. So I was reflecting on what it means to trust. I was just thinking about why do we trust some people and not, not others? And how, how does that influence whether or not we trust God? Well, one of the reasons um, you don't trust someone is because you just don't know them. You don't, you don't know them, uh, and, and so you just aren't going to blindly trust them because you don't have relationship with them. Remember, uh, not too long ago, I, I was in a, just standing amongst this group of men. Uh, some of the guys I knew, other guys I didn't know at all. And just kind of talking, we're standing there, and I was just kind of like doing this. I hold a ton of stress like in my neck. It's just like where my stress goes. And so I was just like doing this, my neck was hurting, and this guy who I didn't know notices it. He's like, you got something wrong with your neck? I was like, yeah, it's just oh, sore. And he goes, oh, I, here, come here. And he comes around me, and he puts me like in a full Nelson. And he's like, I, I can crack it. It'll feel so much better. And I'm like this. I go, I go hey, dude, let go of me. Um, in all due respect, get your hands off me. Like, I don't know you, uh, and I don't want somebody I don't know cracking my neck. Like, are you a chiropractor? If you are, okay, maybe I'll consider it. But if you're not, there's a chance you murder me. You know, like, I don't know you, and I don't want, because of that, I I don't want you cracking my neck. Like, I don't trust you, because I don't know you. But people I trust are people I know. Like, I have a relationship with them. Like, I have, I got no problem taking my kids who are, who are most precious to me and dropping them off at my parents' house or my in-laws' house because I know them. I have a relationship with them. Like I can give my most valuable treasure, my kids, like I can, I can give them to them and leave and know that my kids are going to be taken care of. They're going to be safe. Like I can trust them because I have a relationship with them. I know them. Another reason we don't trust people is because we put our trust in somebody, but then they broke that trust. They betrayed us. And, um, you know, we, we sort of continue in life and wonder, like, can I, can I really trust? And it's, you've probably heard people talk about this with trust, where it's, it's one of these things where um, 
You know, it's really easy to break trust, and it takes just a moment to break trust. Very difficult to rebuild that trust, and it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. And it's not that trust cannot be rebuilt, because it absolutely can. But it is a often long and difficult road to that trust being rebuilt. Because we, we might constantly, for long periods of time, just have that thought in the back of our head, like, will that person do that again? Will that person betray me again? Will that person lie to me again? You know, and, and so it's, it's difficult. And, you know, my kids, like, they just started getting into the Peanuts characters and watching uh, Charlie Brown, and I'll watch it with them. And it's just, you know, it's like that, it drives me nuts. Like, Charlie Brown, it's like, dude, figure it out. Lucy's going to pull the football away. You know, like, Charlie Brown runs up to the football, and Lucy pulls the ball away, and he falls. And he just keeps doing it over and over and over again. Kind of has this blind trust, like something's going to change. But, but, the reality is, like, we have relationships with people in our life where we're just, we're afraid that if we run up to the ball, they're going to pull it away. And we, I, can, can I trust that person? Can I really uh, trust them again? Or are they going to pull the ball out from under me? But people we trust are people who have proven to be credible, proven to be trustworthy, proven to be um, faithful. I, uh, I'm just coming up on a three-year anniversary of a tumor that I had in my face, and uh, I got in trouble because last service, I, I did not say if it was cancerous or benign, and a nurse came up to me and goes, what was it? Like, you can't do that to me. Um, it was benign, um, but it was in a particular area next to my facial nerve that was that made for a tricky surgery and and if if it's not done correctly you could damage the facial nerve and for the rest of your life lose feeling in a, in the side of, of of your face and so i uh, was diagnosed by a doctor up here and and i when i found out it was a tumor i said well okay i i recognize this is a very tricky surgery how, like how many of these surgeries do you do because I probably do one or two a year. And I go, yeah, that's not good enough for me. And the doctor actually goes, yeah, I understand. I go, I think I'm going to find somebody who does a little bit more. And he goes, yeah, I'd probably do that too. And, uh, okay, cool. Well, at least you're honest. Uh, so then I, I, uh, I went down to Mayo, and I found a specialty surgeon. And I met with him, and, and I'll, I'll never forget. Like, I'm sitting there, and I go, well, so I asked the same question. So how many of these surgeries do you do? And he goes, I do three to five a week. And I go, yeah, I like that. Let's, uh, you can cut into my face. Um, why? Because this man has experience. He has credibility. He's doing this day in, day out. Like, even though I don't know him, his experience and his credibility gives me trust. So you trust people you know who you have a relationship with. You trust people who have kept their word. And you trust people who have credibility. But do you trust God? Do you know God? Do you trust that God keeps his word? Do you believe that? Do you look back and see that God is faithful, that he's credible, that he is worth trusting because you've seen him you've seen him be faithful he's proven his faithfulness in your life you know it's easy to to trust God or at least say 
you trust God when life is just going swimmingly. When, when life is going as planned, when circumstances are playing out the way that you envisioned, when you're happy, when things are good, it is easy to say, I trust God, because look, everything's going the way that I had planned and in the way that I had wanted. And it must be true that God will give me the desires of my heart, because look at my circumstances. They're playing out exactly how I had hoped. But trust in God is tested and forged in the fire. When life makes no sense, when things fall apart, when you're sunken, broken, and in despair, when circumstances are not going your way, when, when things are playing out precisely the opposite of what you had planned, do you still trust God? Do I trust that he's good? Do I trust that he's faithful? Do I trust that he'll show up? Do I trust that, yes, the night is dark and it is long, but the morning will come. God will show up. That he will lift me up out of the mud and mire. See, when you become a Christian, Satan instantly begins, Satan the deceiver, Satan the, the liar, instantly begins to whisper in your ear. To begin to try to, to, to get you to try to question, can I really trust God? Look at the circumstances playing out in your life. Do you think God really cares about you? Look at how you're feeling. Look at the hurt. Look at the pain. Look at the brokenness. Look at the despair. Do you think... If God really loved you and God really took care of you and you could really trust God, do you think he'd let you feel those emotions? Do you think that God would really allow you or your loved one to get that diagnosis if he really was worth trusting or if he really cared about you? Would a loving God allow the suffering in your life right now? One of the things that uh, the enemy will do is he uh, will cite scripture to use against us. And you go, really? Um, let me show you. In Psalm 91, which is this wonderful psalm about protection and God being our refuge, and that God is going to protect us and take care of us. Um, let me read for you this psalm and, and see how reassuring it is. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you. From the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right side, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm 
will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It is a wonderful psalm. In fact, this was a psalm I clung to when I found out that I had a tumor. It's a psalm about safety. It's a psalm about protection. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, this, this, tr- this message of hope and, and that God's going to protect me and nothing bad's going to come near my tent. Nothing bad's going to come near my life. And that God, it's a promise that he will be your refuge. He will be your strength and he is going to keep you safe. Well, how are we to understand that promise, this psalm, in disaster, in suffering, in pain? When we're feeling unsafe, unprotected, exposed, hurting, and broken. I mean, what does this mean? Can I really trust God? I can tell you what Satan wants you to think this psalm means. And you go, well, well, how? Well, the devil, again, can cite scripture for his purpose. And the reason we know that is because we see him do it to Jesus in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the wilderness and he spends 40 days, 40 nights fasting. And at the end of this fast, the enemy comes to him. Which, here's here's just a quick mini sermonette. The enemy is always looking for the opportunity when you're at your weakest. So he goes to Jesus at his weakest moment and he begins to tempt Jesus and and at one point he brings Jesus to the top of Jerusalem like the top of the highest point in Jerusalem and he says you know what if you're the son of God if 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 the father says that you who like you are who you truly he truly says you are like if you're the son of God if you truly are who you say you are like jump off of this high point and guess what will happen angels will protect you and he quotes Psalm 91 Satan quotes Psalm 91. He reads verses 11 to 12, or not reads, but he, he cites verses 11 to 12 to Jesus. He says, jump off the highest point, and guess what? You won't, you won't get hurt. You won't die, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus in an effort to, to, to get Jesus to question, is the Father worth trusting? In other words, the, Satan is saying, look, you don't, don't go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. I mean, if the Father really loves you, look what he said. Look what he said in Psalm 91. Like, you should... If the Father's asking you to go to the cross and die for these people who deserve to die, and, and die as an innocent man, that's not compatible with the word of God. Like, look it. You don't have to do it. Satan is trying to get Jesus to question, can I trust what the Father has asked me to do? Can I trust the word of the Father that I am, in fact, going to go and suffer? 
I am in fact going to have to die. I am in fact going to have to step in for the guilty as an innocent man. Can I trust the Father? If the devil can get any Christian to believe that, look, now that I'm a Christian, God's not going to allow anything really bad to happen to me. He's one. You know, like, you know, God might let some difficult trials, but he's not going to really let really bad things happen to me. If the enemy can get you to believe that, it will completely shake your trust in God. Why? Because I, really bad things will happen to you. I wish I could say otherwise. But really bad things can and will happen to you. And if you believe that now that I'm a Christian, there's no way they will, when it inevitably happens, you will pull back from God. You're going to say the promises didn't work. Psalm 91 isn't true. God's word isn't true. I can't trust God because my circumstances and what's happening is incompatible with what he says. But is that true? Is that really what Psalm 91 is getting at? Did Jesus go, oh, well, it must not, like, the end, Satan's right. Like, look at what Psalm 91 says. Why would the Father, you know, ask me to go to the cross and suffer? Like, when, when he says here, like, nothing is going to come, no calamity will come near me. Is God keeping me safe? Is it true that God is keeping me safe even when things are falling apart? I want to show you two places where, in fact, we see that with the right perspective, it is true that even when things are falling apart, God is keeping us safe. That Psalm 91 is true about God and true about us even when we're suffering, even when we are dying, even when we're, things are falling apart. I mean, look at, look at Joseph. At the end of his life, his brothers are worried because of what they did to him when he was young. They threw him in a pit and they sold him into slavery. Uh, and now he finds himself in this position of power. And he's Joseph is at the end of his life. And his brothers are scared that now that he's in this position of power, is he going to finally uh, kind of put his just, like live out, like get his justice against them and, and murder them? And uh, Joseph sort of sees through it and he goes, Look, what you meant for evil, God meant for for good. Do you recognize the perspective that Joseph has? He's looking back at his life and he's seen all the calamity, all the suffering, all the hardships, and he recognizes that God was there, that, that God was actually keeping him safe. That, that when my brothers threw me in the pit, God was keeping me safe. When they sold me into slavery, God was keeping me safe. When I, when I was unjustly put into prison for something I did not do, God was keeping me safe. But do you think that when Joseph was in the pit, he felt great about his circumstances? And he, he was like, oh, God's keeping me safe in this pit. And then when he was sold into slavery, he's, he was, do you think he was feeling like, oh, God's keeping me safe. Now I'm being sent to a land. I got no idea where I'm going. And then he does the right thing and, some, and someone lies about what he did. And now he's in jail for doing the right thing. Do you think he's like, oh, wow, I feel great about doing the right thing and God's keeping me safe? Everything was 
against him. And yet at the end of his life, he had this perspective where he was able to look and see, wow, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Do you know what that means in Romans? It says, for God will work all circumstances for good. Not good stuff for good. He's not just going to use the good stuff in your life for ultimate good. The, the text says God will work all circumstances. That's good and bad. For ultimate good and glory. At the end of the age, and what a day it will be, we will be able to look back at our lives and see God's faithfulness, see God's safety and protection, even in the darkest nights, even in the seasons of winter, even in the suffering, even in the death of people we love, and in our death, we will see the hand of God. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? You are with me. And so Psalm 91 is, is, is true. It's always true. There's this, there's this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples toward the end of his life. And uh, it's like mind-boggling. You just go, this doesn't make any sense. And if, if you were there when Jesus said it, I would have been like raising my hand. Like, I have a question about what you just said. Um, he's talking to his disciples about, look, uh, you're going you're gonna to experience persecution for me, for being a follower of, of mine. And he says this in Luke 21. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Other translations say you will um, secure your soul when it says you will win life. Now, here's the part that bothers me. Um, he says, some of you will die, but not a hair of your head will perish. That I mean, makes absolutely no sense. Some of you will die, but not a hair of your, on your head will perish. In fact, all of them did die except for one. All of them were murdered. All of them were executed for their faith in Jesus Christ. But he says, not a hair on your head uh, will perish, stand firm, and secure your soul, or win life. Jesus is, in essence, saying, like, you've, you've got to see past uh, your life through your eyes and, and look through your heart at eternity. He says, like, don't be afraid of what man can do to the body. Be, you know, be concerned about who has control over your soul in eternity. This is what, in essence, what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Like, look, because of me and because of what I'm about to do for you, I'm about to go die the death you deserve. I'm about to go die the death you're guilty of. I'm about to take your sin and your judgment, and I'm, I'm going to pay the price. And because of that, all sorts of bad things can happen to you. In fact, your, your life can be, your, your physical life can be, can be taken from you. And yet, because what I'm about to do for you, nothing can touch your salvation. Nothing can touch your soul. Nothing can rob you of true life. That's what Jesus is, is saying. And, and I would, like, look, if, if you love anything more than God, whether it's your 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 life, your health, your kids, your car, your job. Like, the reality is you are not safe. 
Because circumstances can come and they can threaten those things or they can take them away and then you're left with nothing. Because if you put your hope in those things and they're taken away from you, you're left without hope. If you put your identity in those things and they're taken away from you, you're left without an identity. But if during difficult times we can take our hearts off some of the things that we make probably too important these almost pseudo-salvations or these, these substitutes for God, if we, can, if we can take it off of those things. And it's not to love your job less or love your wife less or love your kids less, but to love God more in relationship to those things. Then, 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 then Jesus says, you can win life. You can secure your soul. You are safe. Like, if you, if you can learn to trust me and love me, put me first, and continue to trust me and put me first, even in the darkest night, nothing can, like, nothing can rob you of the hope and, and, your, and the salvation that Jesus went to the cross for. See, if you put your hope in circumstances or people or the things of this world, anything can come at any point and just wipe it away. And you're left with pain, despair, and, and discouragement, and, and lack of identity. But if it's focused on God, and, ha- and you have an eternal perspective, things can be, you, you know, circumstances can come, and we can lose even the things that, that we, we hold dear and love, and yet we, we still have hope. Because there's still a plan, God is still good, And there is a day that I look forward to, that I'll be able to see God's faithfulness every step of the way, and then look forward to an eternity where I never again have to worry about calamity, never again have to worry about darkness, never again have to be worried about a diagnosis, never again have to worry about losing a loved one or me dying again. And what a day that will be. And Jesus died for that that future. He died to give you that future. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, even, like people could come and rob you of your life, but even in, in a moment your eyes will be open and you will be with me in glory. You will see me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that I have in store for you. You can trust me even in your last moments. It's why in, in, we're told to mourn differently than the world. Because there's hope despite our circumstances. Eternal hope despite our circumstances. Psalm 91 isn't saying, like, I'm going to protect you from all trouble. It is saying, I will protect you in all trouble. And I will protect you through all trouble. But Satan is constantly at work trying to sow seeds of doubt about who God is and whether or not you can really trust him. So how do you trust in God? How do you grow your trust in God? Well, how do you grow your trust in a human being? By, get, we, by knowing them. By having a relationship with them. By spending time with them. To get to know them. To see if they're faithful and true. To see if they're credible. To see if they're people who keep their word. Like if, if you're lacking in trust of God. Or things, circumstances come your way. And your trust in God just completely implodes. I, I want to ask you. How well 
do you know God? How, how much are you investing in your relationship with God? Do you truly know God? If you're lacking relationship or friendship or intimacy with God, the amazingly good news is that God wants precisely that with you. He wants relationship with you. He wants friendship with you. He wants intimacy with you. And it is through friendship and relationship and intimacy with God that we become strong. That we build trust. That's, that, that, that suffering can come and we stand firm. I love Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. How do you grow in your trust of God? You grow in your relationship with God. How do you grow in your relationship with God? The psalmist says right here, here's how you become a person who is strong in every season, who can withstand the trials, the circumstances, the brokenness and suffering of life. It's by it's by meditating on the law day and night and delighting in God. That's what he says. You know, you, look, you drove here and you're seeing that we are in a season of transition. You see it in the trees. That for a moment we get, we get beautiful colors. And then in another moment, the leaves fall to the ground. And the trees just aren't quite what they once were. They've, you, they've lost their beauty in winter. They've lost their leaves. They've lost their, their, their ability to protect. You go stand under a leafless tree and you're going to get hit by the wind and the rain and the snow. But there are some trees that don't change color, that don't lose their beauty, and don't lose their ability to protect in the winter. Evergreen trees. An evergreen tree... A, doesn't lose its leaves, doesn't change color. That winter comes and the harshness of winter comes and you can go find protection under an evergreen tree. In some ways, the psalmist is saying to us, uh, you, you, you want to be able to, to weather the storms of life? You, you want to you be able to find protection in the seasons of winter, of darkness? You want to be like an evergreen tree? You want to grow in your trust of God? How do I do that? Meditating on the law of the Lord. Morning and night and finding delight in that. Let, let, me, let me talk a little bit about what, what, that, what that means. Um, it doesn't say read the Bible or even study the Bible. And when it says the law, it's not just the Ten Commandments. The psalmist isn't just referring to the Ten Commandments or the Levitical law. When you read the Bible, the, the law is really the, in, the totality of the Bible because the Bible, whether it's the commandments or the stories of the Bible, have been, all of it's been given to us for our instruction. 
All of it. And so it's, it's, it's meditate on the Bible, on the word of God. And meditation is, again, not reading it or just studying it, but meditating on it. Uh, what does that mean? There's a 17th century pastor and writer named Richard Baxter, and in his 30s he got really sick, and he thought he was going to die. And on his deathbed, at least he thought his deathbed, um, while he was dying, he learned, and he wrote a book after he ended up recovering, um, called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. Um, he learned on his deathbed, which he thought was his method, to meditate on the Bible. And it gave him an enormous sense of peace, a peace that he had never had in his life. And he defines meditation as this, fixing one's mind on the truth and then speaking that truth to your own heart until God comes near and you sense his presence. It's not just reading a Bible verse. It's proclaiming the truth and saying it over and over and over again until it gets so deep into your heart that it becomes real and you feel the presence of God. In other words, meditation is taking the truth of the Bible and pressing it so deep into your heart until it catches fire. And the psalmist says, you must do that and you must do it day and night. Not just in the Bible app when it gives you a notification to, to read it in the morning and then check it off your to-do list, but meditate on it. Get it deep within your heart until it catches fire and you experience the very presence of God. And it was on his deathbed that he experienced the most peace in his life. And it was there that he could delight in the law. That he could delight in God's presence. And so as the band comes up, I just want to ask you, just real honestly, how, how difficult is it for you to trust God? And if it's difficult to trust God, how close are you to God right now? How much time are you giving to God right now? I'll never forget Tim Keller uh, once said, you know, if you, you had a, and some of you have heard this from me before, but if there was a pill that you had to take to keep you alive, do you think you'd forget to take that pill? Like if you woke up and you forgot to take the pill, you die. You, you would not forget to take that pill. It would be priority one. You wake up and you would, you would take that pill and you'd make sure that the prescription was always filled. Do we look at the word of God like that? That the word of God, God's, God's word, God's presence, God's power, like we need it to live, we need it to endure, we need it. We need it like we need it. We would need that pill to stay alive. It's not just something to read or join a Bible study. It is about the living word of God that gives life and hope and builds trust. And the psalmist says, you got to be in it day. You got to be in it at night. Like, you got you to be in it. Like, look at it with that importance and give time to it. And guess what? It's always worth it. It's worth it to give it time. Because you get the very presence of God when you give it time. You get God. You don't just get the Bible or knowledge. You get God. He gave us the Bible as a way to know him until we're with him forever. So, if you're, if you're struggling to trust God, I just encourage you, 
Work to know him. Give him time. Prioritize time with him. And he will show up. He will show up. He promises to show up and your trust in him will grow. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are good, that you are kind. Thank you that you're worthy of our praise and help us to trust you in all circumstances. Build trust in us that whatever, whatever storms come, that we will stand firm, that we will be able to endure and produce fruit in all seasons of life. And we look forward to the day, Jesus, that we will be with you forever and that you will wipe away every tear, that there will be no more calamity, no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. Oh, what a day that will be. We long for it. We call for it. We ask for it. But until then, give us the strength to keep going, to not give up. Give us eyes to keep fixed on you and your gospel message, the good news that you died to pay the penalty of our sin and that our, our salvation is kept in heaven can never be robbed. We can never be robbed. That, that life can rip us apart, that we can suffer, that we could die. And yet, in, in but a moment, our eyes will be open to your glory and your presence and your peace. May that give us the hope that we need to fight the good fight. In Jesus' name, amen.